Hello and welcome or thank you for joining us, whether you are joining us live today on Zoom or whether you are listening to us on podcast or watching us on YouTube. My name is Justin McCarran from Everyday Resilience. I will be hosting this book launch from my very dear friends, Belinda Ganaway and Emma Bridger, who will be, we will be speaking to in a moment. So um, fantastic that so many of you could be here and I'm sure you're all looking forward to getting your hands on a book so you can dive in and uh, start picking it apart and looking at the top tips and reading the stories and the research uh, and all of the goodies that are contained within its pages. To give you a brief overview of what the book is, it is a practical guide for HR professionals, business leaders, and anyone needing to create an employee experience that, here's the important bit, empowers people to perform at the best. So this is about people power. Um, you'll also find in the book, it sets out simple steps for any team or organization that you can follow. And particular appeal to me as a relative novice in this field, it demystifies employee experience. Um, it's packed with clear, practical tips, as I said, tools, lots of stories and examples, full of contributions from a number of wonderful experts in their field, uh, many of whom are here <clears throat> with us today on the call. So a big thank you to all the contributors. Uh, a few of you will be speaking with us on this call later. So thank you to you too. Um, this is going to be about showing you how to build a robust business case for employee experience, if that's partly what is driving you. It's going to help you align employee experience activity with organizational strategy to demonstrate impact, and it'll measure EX and demonstrate return on investment. So I'm hoping whatever your interest in being here today um, and in learning a bit more about the book, something will stick out for you that you will leave the hour feeling enriched and informed and enlightened and inspired, uh, we, we hope. Uh, and certainly you'll feel like you've made a few new friends along the way. A brief plug for, because we like a quote, um, the book has been described by uh, Mark Levi from Airbnb as a must read book for anyone working in the field of employee experience. So there's the plug. Um, we are very interested, of course, in you, our audience. It's a conversation, so we will be interested to hear your thoughts and comments and questions as we go along. Uh, we will do a little bit of uh, more formal style presenting at the beginning of this session, and then at the back end of the session, we'll throw the uh, open up the floor to questions. But please, as we go through, if anything occurs to you, do pop it in the chat um, so you don't have to keep a hold of it for the whole time you're, and you can actually listen to what everyone else is saying. And Katie's keeping an eye on the chat and she will circle back around and uh, pick up on any of the comments or questions that we've missed. But before, as I said, we get started proper, we want to know a little bit about you and what has brought you here today. Um, we have some idea why some of you are here and we are not sure why some of the rest of you are here, which is lovely. So what we are going to do is just give you a little bit of a health warning. I am about to share a slide. Just saying, I know that's gonna make me unpopular, 
But hopefully when you see the slide, you will forgive me. You'll understand that this is a concept that is best demonstrated visually. So in a moment, I'm going to ask Katie to share the slide. And all it is, is I'd like you to consider yourselves in terms of employee experience, uh, what brings you here and what level of familiarity and experience and confidence do you have uh, with the topic? So um, you can see the screen there. In a moment, you'll get a chance to vote. So are you more of a number one, uh, Absolute Beginners by David Bowie? That's to say you don't know a huge amount about the topic, but you've turned up eager to find out more. Are you uh, number two, getting better all the time? So probably intermediate, you're fairly familiar with the subject and you use some of the principles or you have uh, interest in fields that relate to uh, the area. Or would you say you are uptown top ranking? That's number three. That's top of the heap. That's this is your bread and butter. And I know we've definitely got a few uptown top rankers on the call today. So in a moment, uh, Katie's going to share the poll and we would love to hear from you all. Are you one absolute beginners, two getting better all the time or three uptown top ranking? Give us your thoughts and we will see how the overall uh, audience demographic plays out. Brief pause while I fill in my own. I will declare my interest now. I'm an absolute beginner. So uh, I'm hoping I'm not the only one, but also it's fine. It's uh, as well, hasn't it, Justin? <laughs> we've, got, we've got Perry there wanting to join in. We know Perry's fond of singing a song. <laughs> uh, he's not the only one, of course. Our, our, our Katie has a, a fabulous songstress. So um, Katie, I'm not sure how are we looking with votes? Are they coming in thick and fast? Yeah, I'm ready to share. Beautiful. Oh, Kikoki, look at that. Isn't that interesting? So that's really, really helpful for us. Uh, so particularly for, for Emma and B and our guests to bear that in mind when we're talking that for, for some of our audience, this stuff will be pretty new. So for a good chunk of our audience, this stuff will be new. But for most of the audience, there's a, a definitely a, a level of familiarity with the topic. Um, and indeed, the 11%, well, there are a couple of you on this call who quite literally wrote the book. So uh, we would hope that you would be counting yourselves as Uptown Top Ranking in this instance. So um, you've heard enough from me. I am going to hand over in turn first to Emma and then to Belinda to give us some insight into really what else would you like to say about the book that hasn't already been said by either myself or um, Mark uh, Levi. Over to you, Emma. Thanks, Justin. And um, I just want to say, like B said before, it's not the Oscars, but I do need to say a massive thank you, first of all, to everyone that's joined this call. Been just blown away by people's generosity, giving up their time and helping us with the book. So all the contributors that are on the call today and, um, you know, friends and family of mine and people lab that have made the time to, to come off this call. So it's um, really lovely to see so many familiar faces. And it does really mean a lot because... There's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that goes into writing a book and it doesn't come naturally to me. Not something that I found easy at all. So it's lovely just to take a step back and sort of celebrate this. Um, I, I think there's, there's, there's an area that I wanted to share um, that is, is something that's hopefully new. Um, Justin, do you want me to share the, the, uh, the magic of stuff now or do you want to go to B first and then I'll share it? How would you like to play this? I would say let's jump over to B and then let's come back to Magica. How's that? That sounds good to me. Over to you, B. 
Thank you. That's great because it means then I can relax for the rest of the time and, and um, start my wine. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. Coming. We're absolutely blown away to have 100 people actually with us tonight, which is just fantastic. Although I suppose it shouldn't really surprise me when when I sort of had a do a blank on and I had a bit of a panic and imposter syndrome moment earlier in the year when we were working on this, I decided to take a very journalistic approach to to writing my bit of the book, which my background was in journalism, which basically meant I got to ask a lot of people a lot of questions. And what totally blew me away in that process was absolutely everybody I reached out to said, yeah, great, when do you want to talk? So that, as Emma said, the generosity of people to give up their time and their expertise and their contribution, their thinking has just been just outstanding. So it isn't the Oscars, but honestly, we have got about 10 or 15 um, individual contributors to the book. So thank you dearly to all of you We've got about 20 people who've given us the most rave endorsements and reviews for the book. So thank you also to you and to everybody else who, whose brains I have picked, who's, who've read chapters, who've fed back on them, who, who we've quoted. Just this book really is, is full of your brilliant ideas. And we've, I, for my bit of the book, I've just knitted them together. So thank you. Um, yeah, Emma, why don't you tell us about Magica? Cool. Thanks, B. Um, you might notice as well, some of you, I'm, I'm having a cheeky drink, which I never normally drink in the week, but I thought, you know, it, it feels really weird to be on a kind of worky thing with a glass of wine, but, you know, hopefully you'll forgive me. Okay, so we were thinking about, you know, how can we make this, um, you know, worthwhile if you could come along to, to this session? And we wanted to share some, uh, some new research with you. So this is hot off the press. You will find it all in the book. I've got my copy here. Um, but I'm just going to share with you a little bit of research that we've kind of pulled together and I say, you know, publishing the book for the first time. Now, many of you on the call I've worked with before, so thank you for coming on today. And you'll know that something that I, I nearly always do with people that I work with is a best experience activity. And what we mean by that is um, asking people to simply share stories about times when they were at their best at work. So when they had a great experience, when they were firing at all cylinders, when they were engaged, when they just look back at that time and say, that was brilliant. I loved my time when I was working then or in that place with those people. And um, we, we, we do this activity for a whole host of reasons that I won't go into now, but I've used this for many, many years, even before People Lab days, I used it in-house. So since People Lab um, first started like 11 years ago, um, we've collected literally thousands of these stories and we've always kept the data, the qualitative data. So people share their stories and we you know, write down what we heard and we collect it all. And for years, I thought, I must get around to looking at that data at some point because it's such rich data, I must get around to analyzing it. And then of course, COVID comes along and it's been awful for many people and a roller coaster, but I guess there are some silver linings. And one of my silver linings was having a little bit of headspace to actually go back to that research and analyze it for the book. Um, and I have to say a thank you here to uh, Sarah Osborne, who may or may not be on the call, who was a, an intern we had in, who helped me do that. So she's an undergrad at Sussex Uni. And we worked through all of, of the data that we gathered over the years. And we said, what is it telling us? And actually there was a really clear story, which is dead exciting. This is real qualitative data from thousands of people from across the world. So we run these um, activities and collected stories from China, from Oman, from Europe, from, from the US, from, from everywhere, from small organizations, large, large organizations, but from you know really diverse people. 
So um, I am going to share the last slide of the session. I want to share the model with you that we came up with. So if I could ask Katie to share this, and I'll just explain it a little bit. And we go into this in a lot of detail in the book, but this is hot off the press. And what we found was that there are very much two sides to the coin. There are what we call, um, first of all, the universal themes. So what you see around the outside of this model, which we call Magica, the Magica model is an acronym for the, the words around the outside. Um, there are these universal themes that came up in pretty much every best experience story that we analyze. I'm sure these will not be a surprise to you. Just nice to have it all in one place, right? So. These are the things that tend to be present when people are having a great experience at work, when they're thriving, when they're at their best. Now in the book, we go into um, you know, the background of, of these different um, words and we explain some of the psychology and neuroscience, there's a whole heap of science that actually backs up why you would expect to see these words. So I'm not gonna go into them now, have a look at them. They kind of make sense, I think, no, no surprises there. But this is only half the story. So yes, we have the universal theme. So this gets us like quite a good way forward in terms of how we design brilliant experiences. But we absolutely have to remember that the experience that we have at work is also very unique and personal to us. So if we were to all share our best experience stories now on this call, inevitably this stuff would come up, but there would be individual differences. So somebody might say, but well, it was really good fun because, you know, a really good experience because I had loads of fun and it was really sociable and um, work hard, play hard, you know. And I remember, um, you know, when I did some at the British Council, that was a really key theme that came out for them. And, and you know, that sort of, you know, real sort of connectivity and social side to, to their work. But when we ran this for, say, for example, for Rolls-Royce, that side of things didn't come up at all. For them, it was much more about a really clear brief. I knew exactly what was expected of me. So the point I'm making is that, yes, we've got the universal themes, but we mustn't forget the individual differences. And we have to take time to speak to people and ask them to share their stories and their experiences to overcome our implicit biases about what we think good looks like to allow them to share with us what good looks like for them. So that's kind of the, the, um, the model. Um, we go into it in, in a lot of detail in the book. It's hot off the press. It's a brilliant blueprint to get you quite a way there to understand what you need to do to design great experiences. And at the same point, it also um, gives you a brilliant framework for going out and finding out what good looks like for your people as well. So it's all in the book. You get all get a copy of the book so you'll be able to read up on it. We'd love to hear what you think. Um, we've also got a white paper. We're going to be launching this research out into the world in the next week or so. So we'll send you a copy of the white paper as well. If you can't be bothered to read all the stuff in the book, you'll have the sort of the synopsis on the white paper. So I wanted to share that with you because it's hot off the press and hopefully that is interesting insight for you. So that's the Magica model. Marvellous. Thank you very much, Emma. And you're getting um, some visual signs. I can see some of your supporters uh, giving you a thumbs up and various signs of uh, approval on the cameras that I can see. And you're also getting lots of love in the chat as well. Um, yeah, Magica, you must have been quite pleased about that when you went, hang on a second. <laughs> it took a while. I had a bit of a, you know, there's some like light bulb moments. Ah, oh, Magica. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. So folks, that's it. Thanks a million for that, Emma and B. That gives everyone, we've started to dip our toe into some of the themes and uh, particularly straight away already, we can see how practical 
the book is. Um, and uh, th those of you who have a particular interest in the subject will probably want to dig into the white paper. But um, for everyone else, you can pick up the book and those things uh, come off the page for you. So really, really practical and easy to apply and um, written in a way for uh, people like me can even understand, uh, which is quite a feat. Um, so listen, we mentioned earlier that we had a number of your lovely contributors, um, almost all of whom are on the call, but uh, there's a few people um, that are going to join in and share a little bit of their experience. We've got, uh, so we've got four people to listen to. Um, we're going to be talking to, to Damon, to Damon Diener, to Nabel Crowhurst, to Lindy Boozman, and to Sarah Corney as well. So um, we're going to pick on Damon first, if I may. Uh, first of all, Damon, thank you. Uh, you aren't the only one joining us from across the pond, but where are you calling us from today? I'm in San Diego, California this morning. Okay. Well, good morning to you. Um, and thank you again, Damon. We've had you um, on the Reset Show before. So um, uh, I really appreciate you taking some time out to, to join in this little celebration. Um, tell us a little bit about what the area that you contributed to uh, the book um, in terms of the, the research that you spoke about with Belinda and Emma. Yeah, so uh, I have a role where I lead employee experience for IBM. Uh, so I contributed talking about, you know, how we apply EX at, at corporate scale, the global corporate scale, which is uh, massive in IBM's case, uh, and especially how we weave in some of our technologies around AI and, and how we do that ethically. Lovely. And um, Emma and B, would you like to jump in and pick up on some of the things that you found particularly helpful from, uh, from Damon's contribution? Yeah, and so Damon taught me so much. Damon and I have had so many conversations over the last few months. Um, and every time I've got stuck, I feel like I've turned to Damon and he's been there to, to help and support and provide some, some new inspirations. So um, across the book, there's a little bit of Damon woven in. I suppose what um, one of the things that we began when we first began our conversation was to talk about personas and how personas play a role in designing EX at IBM. So maybe you can give us a little bit of uh, more insight around that. Sure, sure. And uh, yeah, feel free to pepper me with questions. Otherwise, I'll just, I'll share some anecdotes about um, one project that we did around personas. You know, personas are one of those things that you can do it a hundred different ways. Everybody does them slightly differently. So, you know, everything I say, there's probably a counter argument for. So I'll keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes and talk about how when we were starting the IBM transformation of HR to go from this organization that was very kind of org facing out to the employees, and we really wanted to transform the org to think about the employee first and how the employee sort of perceives the organization from the outside in. And, and that comes down to every way and every program in which, you know, the uh, kind of we engage with employees and personas had a key role to play in that enterprise transformation that we were doing across our, our HR organization. So in this particular uh, instance, we wanted to start broad and um, not get very specific. And so here we started with an approach that purists might call something more like archetypes as opposed to personas, but we set up this grid of 
12 because we, again, we were trying to align the organization to have some consistency in how they were thinking about, you know, the segments of our employee population and come together and work on them together. So the, the grid, and I'll just pop up a quick visual because I think it'll, it'll help, um, but then I'll turn it off really quickly because I know we're not going to use slides today. <laughs> it's not a slide, oh, okay. it's a visual, that's fine. And, and also, Damon, you know, we have to have a grid. Come on, at least one yeah. grid. Otherwise, everyone's going to get withdrawal symptoms, right? So go for it. Okay, excellent. All right, here we go. Okay, so here's here's the grid of 12 that I'll, I'll talk to you about some of the pros and cons of what we did. But if you look, you know, down the left, the one axis is employees and managers and leaders. And then across the top, it's, you know, are they new to that? that role or that dimension, are they experienced? And then there are some special needs and challenges around those that are recently hired into those roles. And then something we added in one of our iterations shortly after, I think it was iteration two or three, was we started uncovering the needs and the goals and the pain points around employees and leaders and managers that we were acquiring from other companies you know, through acquisitions was a very kind of discrete set of needs and goals. And so this, this became our like core set of 12. So I'll, I'll start that, let's stop that sh uh, sharing. But um, I think what's important here, just a, a couple things. One is that you probably noticed that we used illustrations as opposed to photographs. And this was something that, you know, there's pros and cons for going either direction, but in our case, um, we felt like illustrations, A, give us an opportunity to introduce a lot of diversity so we could control that diversity very carefully. Um, and we have in, you know, even the, 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 live, the illustration library goes farther than what you just saw. But also, you know, photos have a way of introduce, introducing bias sometimes. And because we wanted to use these across our entire global population, you know, we wanted to be, them to be as flexible as possible. So we you know, we went the illustration route. Um, another couple best practices that, that we chose for this particular exercise was really staying away from those personal kind of data points around like, you know, age, for example, you know, we talk about tenure, which we think is important, but um, the templates we created around these personas for the teams to use focused on, you know, what are their needs and their goals their pain points or challenges or their influences or the environment that they're in. And those were like the most meaningful dimensions that we came up with to be able to use, use personas effectively. And so, um, yeah, I think those are some of the, the best tips and tricks, you know, just from that exercise. Um, and I could I could keep talking forever, but Belinda, do you have any any other targeted yeah. questions you wanted to throw in? Thank you. I've got a quick question for you, and then I think we'll we'll go through every all of our speakers tonight, and then we'll come to probably joint questions at the end. But do add your questions into the chat. But um, I'm going to be cheeky, Damien. I'm going to ask you a question because this is a question that we're often asked. So for me, personas are such a fundamental part of the design process, the design bit of EX design when you're thinking about and creating human-centered design for new solutions and new approaches to make the experience better. So for me, they're fundamental, but what we do see in a lot of organizations is what we talk about as persona graveyards, 
multiple sets of personas and multiple places, but they're all just lots of nodding heads on the call, um, but they're all just left to die or wither. So how do you, what, what's your sort of top technique to making sure that personas are used and don't just get left somewhere to die? Yeah, that, that was a big part of this exercise, which is how do we get them used consistently and sustainably across the organization to create this, this culture of user centricity or employee centricity. And so here um, we constantly improve and iterate on the data uh, that informs these personas. And at the top global level, we do give guidance in what we uncover through our employee listening programs or the engagement surveys. And we articulate what their needs and goals and you know, challenges and pain points are up at the top level. Mm. But then along with each persona, we created empty blank templates so that when teams go to apply these personas in a really specific activity or exercise or program, like, you know, signing up for their benefits, they can take these blank templates informed by those broad dimensions I talked about and, and talk about what are the needs, pain points, and influences regarding this very specific activity or program. And they can do the user research with those employees to fill those in. So right. having this repeatable template-based approach where teams can customize them and use them, but still when they go to present them and talk to them with other teams or our leaders, they're talking about the same personas. So you, mm. you start to get some consistency and some recognition of, oh, that's Emma, that's our experienced employee, right? I love it, thank you. It reminds me of um, in the, when I was a kid, you could get these coloring in books and you could dress the dolls up and you could cut out the different clothes with little tabs that you could hook them on and then you could take them off again. So that, that's how I like to think of it. So thank you. Justin, I'm gonna come back to you. Yes, um, thank you very much, Damon. And, you know, we knew this was going to be one of the challenges of, of getting our contributors to uh, only give a little amuse-bouche, a little teaser trailer. Um, <laughs> we could, of course, keep uh, talking about this topic in itself for the rest of the call. And indeed, you'll see in the chat uh, when you have a moment to, to relax there after your bit, there's lots of questions coming in in the chat. And while you've been talking, I've been scrolling across the screens, watching um, many, I can see the nods and nodding heads and people making notes. And even, I have to say, even Charlotte O'Reilly's uh, baby who made an appearance there was, was nodding uh, their head as well. <laughs> so um, you, you're speaking to the people, Damon. So thanks, thanks so much for that. And we, for those of you who've asked questions, we will loop back and um, pick up on those, some of those questions at the end of the call. Uh, Nabel, we are coming your way. Now tell us from San Diego to where do we find you? Uh, Sussex, not, not quite San Diego. <laughs> San Diego to Sussex. You never know, for our American friends, they might be like, oh, Sussex, wow. Sussex, it's beautiful. If you don't know Sussex, guys, it's amazing. Okay? It's the place to be, it really it definitely is. is. Yeah, mm -hmm. we've got a few um, Sussex residents here, myself included. <laughs> Nabel, um, so tell us a little bit about um, why Emma and Belinda were interested in talking to you about uh, the topic. Wow. Well, it feels like we first started talking quite some time ago. So this is a really, um, a really exciting moment to be here. Um, and, and, you know, it would be lovely if we were in a room with lots of drink to go with it. But I'm sure we can do that another time to make up for it. But um, so I guess 
part of the reason we started talking was that um, there's a there's a piece around employee experience that from, from my perspective links into kind of design thinking and human centered thinking and agile ways of working. And, and that was like our starting point, really. Um, and we had lots of conversations and um, delved into it more deeply. And the piece that is shared in the book is kind of linked with giving some examples around the uh, wide and broad topic of onboarding. Um, and there's a there's some kind of real life um, references to the current organisation I work in, which is Roche, which is a, a global healthcare organisation, but also the previous organisation I worked in, which was River Island, so um, a, a kind of fast fashion retailer. So two different contexts in terms of business, but being able to apply similar principles. Um, and, and essentially, I think you can you can apply similar principles to the way in which you think about employee experience regardless of the size of the business I think I think you can you can think about the way in which you interact with your people um broadly the same way fantastic so that's an interesting uh, take out that the, the principles can apply in in different contexts so scaling up and scaling down um thanks for that Nabel that gives us a sense of uh, your your particular focus I know the subject is close to your heart and there's lots of links. Um, Emma or Belinda, do, is anything you want to pick up on with Nabel, uh, particularly about your, your interaction uh, on the book? Yeah, it'd be great. This is such an unkind question because I think we've got about three minutes, um, but sort of top tips for designing onboarding. How do you, how do you approach that? Or how have you approached that? And why is it different and what sort of results have you got? Yeah, yeah, three minutes and go. Well, so yeah, when, yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you asked me to do this and said, well, spend about five minutes on boarding, I was thinking, wow, okay, right. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> some thoughts that I, I kind of, uh, some, some, some top tips to consider. I think um, there's so much out there on onboarding and so much research and insight that we can all look at. And we would have had our own experiences, both as employees, but also in terms of most likely the nature of our roles and how we want to make a really great experience um, for people. But I think there's a couple of things that really stand out for me when you're considering an onboarding experience in your organisation. Um, and I think the first one is about individuality and moments that matter. And, and you start to see, I think, quite often now examples of um, creative things that organisations are doing um, that are kind of surprise moments for people when they join an organisation. And I think that's great. But if you want to take that to another level, really think about that on an individual basis and really connect in to the people that are joining your business and really think about, you know, what's going to make a difference for them and what do their moments that matter really look like. Um, and I could I could speak about that one for ages, but that, that's, a, that's the first one to consider. Um, I think the, the second one is, and again, it goes back to agility, but it's about how we approach sharing of information. I'm, I'm pretty confident that pre pretty much all of us will have experienced an onboarding or, or an induction program that is information overload. And, and it's ineffective. You know, we, we seem to think that we need to deliver everything to people in their first few weeks, essentially to tick, tick a list to say, we covered that, we told you. And actually, if we reframe that and think to ourselves, what's the point of need at which time someone needs to know some information 
that creates a much better experience for the individual. Um, and the example I often lean on, and it's a simple one, but it's like in my first two weeks in my new role, I don't need to know what the expenses um, process is. I need to know what the expenses process is when I first submit an expense claim and I need someone to sit with me and show me how to do it at that point. I don't need to do it in the first few weeks. So, so it's about um, information at, at the um, point of need, I think is, is probably the second one. Um, and I think the third one, and I'll only share three because of the time that we've got, but the third one is about uh, for me, it's, it's all about the feels, right? So it's more about how people feel rather than what they know. And I think we focus too much effort on, we've got to get this information out to people in their first month, in their first six weeks, and, and they, they need to know this stuff. Well, actually, it's much more about how someone feels in their first few weeks and how you've made them feel and how they feel they've connected into the business. It's way more important in terms of being able to set the tone for how that person's career is likely to pan out within the business and also how likely they feel that they've made the right decision to join the organization and I guess when you think about feelings it's what are we doing in our onboarding experiences to make someone feel excited curious to learn motivated welcomed and that they belong and not feel drained by information disorientated alone and uncertain so, so for me, they're probably the three three big buckets that I would I would say consider first off when you're really thinking about what an onboarding experience looks like in your business. Thank you so much. Is that quick and, enough? And, yeah, I can't believe how much you can cover in such a short space of time. Thank you so much, and I know there is so much, and I think actually we absolutely we have to get you all back and do a full on research show and deep dive into each of these topics. So we'll we'll set that up. But I think Emma, I'd like to suggest that the second edition of the book is called "It's All About the Feels." I think that's a much stronger title. So thanks for that one. Yes, yeah, you can have it. <laughs> Just to slightly build on that, <clears throat> it's a great example that you, that you give there, Nabel, about um, the way that the organisation makes you feel and the fact that when we first look at EX, we kind of go to the obvious stuff, the kind of the life cycle touch points. And when you apply the sort of <clears throat> the design thinking approach that we set out in the book and positive psychology, what we tend to find is that, you know, the sort of the, the everyday moments, the moments that matter, that sometimes we don't have as much control over are things that make the biggest difference. And I always quote the uh, my first day at, at an insurance company I worked for many years ago when everyone went off for lunch and no one invited me and no one showed me where to go. And that stick with me forever. You know, so it's, we kind of talk about those everyday moments as well. And I think we tend to forget about those. So it's like how we mine those and unearth those and figure out where we need to kind of focus our attention. So thank you for raising that. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Nabel. And uh, uh, so lovely to hear you talking about feelings. Uh, uh, fantastic. Well, one of the themes running through the research shows is how sometimes talking about feelings and emotions is um, can feel a little bit, it's a bit taboo. Um, it's a bit, there, it's a bit of a dirty word. And we had Helena Clayton on, who of course, talks about love and leadership. And so we, we got right down and dirty with Helena on the research show and we talked about all of those uh, all of those forbidden topics like how we actually feel and what part can love play in this and really lovely inspiring and you know three perfect rule of three we wouldn't have remembered more than three and you finished on the strongest so beautifully done thank you thank you Nabelle and some questions coming in as well there um, on the chat and Damon really appreciate so I know you've been able to answer some of the questions already offline in the chat which is great that saves a little bit of our um, 
remaining bandwidth at the end of the show. So thank you so much for that. Um, we are moving. I don't know in what direction we're moving because I don't know where Lindsay is in the world. Uh, Lindsay, does it begin with S? Because so far we've had San Diego and Sussex. Where are you calling us from? I'm calling from Seattle. Get in! <laughs> okay, so we've gone back across the pond to Seattle. Oh, how wonderful. Um, thank you so much again. Uh, what time of day is it in Seattle? I'm not going to make an assumption and get it wrong. 9.30, morning. Good morning, Seattle. Um, wonderful. Uh, so listen, Lindsay, you, you get how we're rolling here. We're giving a little bit of little bit of background to who you are and then diving into the particular area of interest that Emma and Belinda were um, unpicking with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about you and, and what brought them uh, you together with Emma and Belinda. Yeah, um, so I contributed to um, the section of the book around prototyping and testing. Um, so, so I'll give a real practical example. Um, I was working at Expedia Group at the time, that's the example I used. And we were um, well into a journey using design thinking principles to kind of deconstruct and, and redesign um, parts of our employee experience. Mm -hmm. At the time, I was in charge of our um, employee engagement survey, which was pretty traditional, pretty long, um, well, well responded to, lots of action. Um, kind of considered a bit of a sacred thing for people. So we're talking about the measurement of the whole experience um, and, and how do we um, kind of deconstruct the measuring of it using the principles of prototyping. So, Fantastic. go ahead. Thank you. Um, that's a really lovely um, introduction and very clear. And we've had some great conversations about, about prototyping on the Reset Show. Um, I, I, I sort of, in lots of these topics, I, I come to this with a, uh, I like to say I come to this with a Zen mind, a beginner's mind. It's my, my excuse for not knowing a huge amount about the topic. But um, prototyping really sits nicely with the theme of the book, doesn't it? Because it's so practical. It really is about, well, here's the theory. Let's just, just, just try it out. Emma and Belinda, um, what do I not know about uh, Lindsay and her contribution to the book that you do know? One thing I know about Lindsay is that you don't know is that we share a love of boats. So when we talk, we often we often talk boats, but we're not going to do that right now. Um, but I think whenever I think of your contribution in the book, it's a really visual, the sort of the image of what you created, your prototype of what you created, I think isn't what most people would think about as being a prototype. I don't know why I said this earlier today. When I think of prototypes, I tend to think of cars. I, I've really no idea why, which is very expensive, very engineered. But yours was much more about um, bits of paper and 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 sellotape and so on. But tell us a little bit about about how you use that in relation to um, your employee listening. Yeah. Um, so over the years that I had managed this, um, this we called it a product. Everything that we thought of in HR was a product. So we took a very kind of tech mindset to our work. Um, and in this product, there were a lot of opinions. Everyone wanted their question kind of in this survey because it had such, um, you know, such usefulness in terms of what leaders and managers and everyone could use. So to Damon's point on personas, we had a lot of different audiences, users, personas, that wanted different things. Um, and in a way we could have made a list of criteria and a lovely table of who's, you know, whose needs get met and make choices. 
But instead, we said, let's come up with a couple, um, basically options, um, and turn those into prototypes. So combining different things around the timing was, did we want to listen to people daily or weekly or quarterly? Did we want repetitive kind of questions over time? Did we want different things at different times? So um, just a lot of different options. We did a mix and match. And instead of programming the actual surveys and sending them out and saying, what do you like about it? Um, we made them on posters, very low tech, very cheap, um, highly unusual for a tech company to say, we're not gonna at least try to make some tech to show the tech, um, but on purpose to say that it's, it's not about, we don't want to distract with the technology and the look and the feel and the buttons. That wasn't the point. The point was, how is this going to be as an experience for you as an employee? Um, in terms of taking a survey as a manager or a leader in terms of when you get results and what those look like and what do we want you to do with them. So we made these posters. Um, at the time we were in person. So we um, put them around the room. We invited different persona groups into the room, explained kind of what we were doing and asked them to use um, sticky notes and colored dots and walk around and kind of just give us feedback. So we, we listened to them as, as kind of an anthropologist would and just our job was just shut up and listen and um, watch them put dots on, you know, kind of we had plus minus question mark and exclamation point. What do you like? What do you not like? What do you have questions about this experience? Um, and what just you, you love the whole thing, everything about it. Um, it's surprise and delights you. So we were able to do that and get their feedback. And in the moment, most of them redesigned a new prototype and a new option to add to the list. Um, but that was able also to have them listen to each other and develop, we talk about this a lot in design thinking, empathy of each other's needs as different stakeholders and really learning and hearing from each other as an employee. Oh, I didn't think about that. If you're giving feedback every day, you want to see change every day or um, some things take a long time. So don't ask me about something that takes a long time to change because I'm gonna expect that really quickly. So we were able to have them listen to each other. We could listen, we could count the dots. Um, and at the end, kind of come up with new combinations, um, new prototypes to test. So this prototype test iterate, um, you can keep doing it for a very long time. We had to some practical, you know, stopping points we had to meet to make some choices and then take those options to our different survey vendors and say, let's try these out and try them out in different ways. So we had a, a concept of what we called the champagne test. So drink your own champagne. If you're going to test something out first, test it on yourself. Um, and it sounds better than some of the other test sort of um, phrases people use. Um, so let's do a champagne test on HR. If we like our product, then we can launch it to employees. So, um, so we made a couple you know, changes. We did some things with our vendors and we said, we're gonna try this out with HR first. Um, we were also able to, to do kind of a longer design process. And this, we did this with other prototypes as well, is invite some of those really passionate people and some of the naysayers in those prototype sessions into more of a design group to really continue with us on the iterating and the testing as we move forward and made some, you know, some financial commitments and some bigger, longer term choices, we could invite them to kind of be on our team, as it were, in a virtual team and move, you know, move our choices forward with longer impact from employees. 
just oh, love it. Fantastic. That's um, I love that the champagne test. Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, I'm definitely going to be nicking that one. Um, we 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 nicked from Carly Carly Love, who was on the research show. We nicked Wizard of Oz prototyping, which which has become just that lovely sense of just you know literally get get a bunch of things and make something and just try it out, uh, and, and it doesn't have to be high tech. And in fact, the fact that it's not high tech adds to its appeal. Because back to Nabel's point about how do you feel, you know, you talked about well, how do you want people to feel when they're engaging uh, in those. Uh, in those processes and what a different experience to come into the room and to have that sense of inner creativity uh, reawoken it's so refreshing um yeah thank you we thank were you. able to also i will say we were able to do this virtually so we had quite a global workforce yeah. um we did a lot in the room we also did slides you know and kind of put things up and had people make their votes annotations um, and yeah yeah. But there was something tactical about I'm going to hand a bunch of vice mm. presidents sticky dots and say, you know, vote, go, go tell me what you like. Yeah. I mean, this, this is what like, we obviously we're, you, you've mentioned it now. Uh, we don't have time to dive in, but broadly speaking, we, we've all discovered, I think, no matter how tech savvy and tech driven we are, we've, we've all discovered the power of analog in many different areas of our life. You know, and by analog, I mean, the, the ability to simply sit in a room with someone and have a conversation. We, we've rediscovered how important and powerful that can be. Um, oh, Lindsay, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to gallop on a pace towards uh, Sarah. Um, Sarah, speaking of things digital, um, first of all, the question on everybody's lips is, where are you calling us from today? Sussex. Sussex, again. Yeah, you've got a four, four out of four. Fantastic. Yeah. We couldn't have even planned that. Um, and not only that, your name begins with S. So um, that's why we finish. We go out with a bang. Thank you so much, Sarah. There's so much I could say about you and your involvement with, with Emma and Belinda. Uh, give us a little bit of context of why you were part of this project. Yeah, okay, so um, my role is uh, in the sort of digital experience, customer experience, and I work for the CIPD, which most people on the call probably know, but it's the Chartered Institute for Personnel and Development. Um, and my interest really is in the design thinking side of things, the user experience, customer experience side of things. Uh, but obviously working for, for CIPD, I'm also interested in, in the HR space and, and employee experience. And I think we were having a drink <laughs> and the, the conversation moved to possible books and uh, yeah I think that's how it, how it all happened. Fantastic thank you Sarah. Emma and uh, Belinda over to you to dig a little deeper with Sarah. Yeah thank you so um, for all the S's I was introduced to Sarah through another Sarah that's how we ended up having a drink in Sussex so all the S's. Um, so yeah I mean Sarah you know, your your understanding and depth of knowledge around design thinking is just really extraordinary. So I think the conversation we had and what we've explored over the months is, is really using design thinking to create a, a, a culture of, well, many, many good things. We love design thinking, right? And the spin-off um, benefits of design thinking just keep on giving. So collaboration, innovation, as well as the customer centricity bit. So yeah, tell us a little bit about what you describe in the book and bring that to life for us. Yeah, well, I think, but we introduced design thinking sort of almost like, I think there's this phrase uh, Harold Josh uses, which is a, a Trojan mouse activity. 
And it was, uh, it was really one of a number of customer experience activities. And it was an, an attempt really to, to, to move CIPD along on that kind of, you know, culture change trajectory. And um, yeah, it's really interesting. When we first started talking about innovation, there was a real misunderstanding about what innovation was. You know, innovation was something that, that Google do, that IBM do. It's really interesting <laughs> hearing David talk earlier. It wasn't something that kind of a hundred year old membership body did. And, and it was also maybe something that kind of architects did or, you know, design agencies did. And so it's really been a lot, uh, lot a lot of um, work, as I say, under the radar to try and break down some of those myths that innovation is something that should be part of every uh, 21st century knowledge workers skills tool bag if you like it should be something that we can we can all draw on we can all draw on the not just the framework but also the tools that sit within it um, to help us to to solve any challenge and of course ex is one of those challenges um, so yeah and and when i was um, sort of thinking about you know this uh your book and this evening i i i remembered a quote actually that was from yours and Emma's uh, course, which is a terrific course, the EX course that I went on last year. And you had this quote, and I don't know where it came from, so I have to ask you if you can remember, but it was that employees have become the consumers of the workplace. And it was like, oh yes, my two interest areas <laughs> have suddenly smushed together, you know, uh, design, uh, experience, but also, you know, the, the workplace and um, working lives, you know, so, yeah, it's, um, I can't even remember what the question is. I've been burbling, but uh, <laughs> it's a passion and it's been a real pleasure to, to share that passion and help you with your, with your book. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I think it's from Gallup. Emma Nod, if I'm right. It's a, it's a Gallup quote. It's just great. I think it's about f f three or four years ago, something like that. But it just, it just sums it up, as you say. And it just, it's that where all of your passions sort of collide. And my background was actually marketing and journalism and all sorts of things. So yeah, these things all sort of overlap, which is really interesting. And I think what I really liked about the example that you shared in the book, and it, again, I'm a really visual person, so it's a lot like Lindsay's, it's, is you, you created a research safari. So you did some research into your audience and then you sort of um, shared that research back with the people that you were co-creating with and in this sort of a safari, something that people walked through. Can you tell us briefly about that? Yeah, we've, we've used the technique a, a few times really. It's a way of being able to synthesize and communicate a huge amount of user research because you, you, you don't, in a sense, you don't want to spend the whole sprint just doing that because that's, that's quite a big activity in and of itself. So we sort of pre-digest, if you like, the user research and we, we, we bring it to life in, in vignettes. In They're not quite personas exactly, but they sort of tell the story of the different people that we've talked to and what their, their needs are, what their frustrations are, their pain points, their moments of truth, all of those sorts of things. And yeah, we, 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 we well, either virtually, so obviously we've been doing that the last year, but we, we physically put them around the room, these little vignettes, and then we give uh, everybody, the participants on the design thinking course, a sort of uh, a few reflective practice questions to ask themselves of the personas, you know, and I'm sorry, the, of the of the vignettes of the user research, and mm. uh, and then and then we um, we then go into a, a persona uh, exercise and then a customer journey exercise, which sort of 
again synthesizes that that research down even further and turns it into something insightful that you can then use as a jumping off point for the sort of the ideation stage if you like of, of the mm. process fantastic thank you so much and you've just so beautifully expressed the whole kind of flow as well the sort of like you know the the process i know it's not linear but the way that you might tackle an EX design challenge. And I'm really surprised that Justin and Emma haven't grabbed and, and, and gone all over your chosen mice. I thought they'd be loving that and waving that around above their heads. Okay. No, I, I just, before we go to sort of questions, I wasn't gonna talk about that. What, what I love about your story, Sarah, is you know talking about using these tools at the CIPD. Cause I think you've got, it's great having Damon on the call. Cause I think, you know, if anyone says who's doing this really well, I would say IBM, they're my go-to, right? They are pioneers. They're doing amazing work. And, and that's probably to be expected, right? Cause they're, they're you know, the market they operate in, but a real motivation for me and, and for B, I think to, in writing the book was to kind of make this world accessible to all organizations. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be your Googles or your IBMs or your Facebooks to, to do this stuff. Anyone can do it. So we try to kind of really, you know, demystify it basically. So that was a real motivation for us and for me particularly and sort of, you know, getting case studies and examples from organizations that you might not traditionally expect to be using these kinds of tools, I think makes people think, oh, well, if they're doing it, maybe we could do it. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, that was something I just wanted to pick up on actually. Thank you, Sarah. Um, Emma, just what you were talking about in terms of the context in which we see these principles being applied, because I'm looking through the people on the call, some of whom I know personally, and I know some of us on the call are involved in micro organizations, much smaller like startups or small to medium enterprises. Um, how, how relevant do you think we would find the book uh, in terms of being able to apply this stuff on a much smaller scale? Yeah, so I, I'll let B interject here, but I, I obviously I'm going to say completely relevant, right? Um, of course. Really passionate about the fact that you you use these tools in a way that works for you. We offer them up um, as a we, we're not prescriptive in our approach. We don't do the you know lots of respect for people like Jacob Morgan who say here's a model, do it this way. We don't do that. We say here's some stuff that we know works because either we've tested it or our contributors have tested it figure out how to use it for you. So some people really thrive in that environment. They love that bit of ambiguity. Other people find it a little bit scary, like, no, just tell me what to do. But I personally feel like you've got to make it relevant and right for your organization. And so I think that the tools are absolutely, um, you know, useful and, and applicable for any organization, you know, starting with, you know, the, the human centered approach to put your people at the heart of what you're trying to do. You know, something as simple as we've got a great model in the, in the book called the employee life spiral. So rather than a life cycle, it's a life spiral because it hasn't got a definitive beginning and end. And just switching the focus from us attracting, onboarding, inducting, performance managing to what is the experience for our people. So, oh, I'd quite like to come and work for this organization. How's my first day? Just something as simple as that just gets you into that mindset. And I think that's relevant no matter what size of organization you are. So that would be my answer to that. B, I'm sure you've got some views on that. Funny enough, I agree with everything you just said, which is just as well. Um, but I, do, I quite often find myself talking about actually two of Emma's 
clients that you've worked with. So, you know, this idea of democratizing, you know, it shouldn't, a great experience shouldn't just be for people who have nice home offices or who work in gorgeous um, London, you know, swanky offices. Actually, why shouldn't you have a great experience at work if you're working in a porter cabin or on an oil rig? quoting two of Emma's clients and actually that's why we just can't be too prescriptive we've got to we've got to make this stuff as accessible as possible because you know it's it's it shouldn't be elitist lovely thank you thank you um we have had a few questions come in most of which have been already responded to so thank you to our contributors for responding and um we had a lovely quote. So speaking of quotes, Sarah mentioned a quote there, and uh, I think it was Julie who talked about the quote earlier. I'm just scrolling up. Yes, from the Maya Angelou quote, which even if you're familiar with it, it's always wonderful to be reminded of it. And it was sparked by you, Nabel, by um, your comments about feeling. And it's, you know, people may not remember what you said or did, but they will remember how you made them feel. And that feels to me like, a good point to round our conversation to a close. We're at that fatal Columbo moment where it's two minutes to six and someone will just go, hmm, one more thing. And then the whole thing just explodes. So I'm going to suggest that unless anyone really does have a burning question uh, or anything to, to say to our lovely contributors and authors, um, I'm going to hand over to Emma and Belinda to wrap up and say thank you. And uh, Katie, I will probably just remind me, we have a reset show coming up that I should plug, shouldn't I? We do. We have one uh, next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Um, GMT. And that will be lessons from UX and CX with Kerry Davies and uh, Paul Bailey from Spark. Fantastic. Thank you, thank you. So if you haven't joined them or watched them, uh, please do. But other than that, Emma and Belinda, it's your party, so you should have the final word, I think. Cool, thanks, Justin. So again, just want to say a massive thank you. I've been blown away by people's generosity in, in giving us time and supporting this and just coming along this evening and really looking forward to when we are able to get back in a physical place together as much as possible to celebrate properly so massive thank you and any questions feel free to drop us a line and we're really happy to kind of follow up and just really hope you enjoy the book and really you know interested to see what you think of it and keep the conversation going because I think this is the start of, of, of this exploration into this new world so just keep the conversation going and let us know how you get on so massive thank you from me for coming along this evening yeah and, and the same from me I'm going to be really cheeky actually so Bruce Daisley um who is one of our heroes has written us a lovely endorsement he also gave us some tips on how to to get this book into as many people's hands as possible his number one tip was saying when people say to you they love the book say thank you so much please would you write us a review on Amazon so um that would be my, my parting talk which feels really cheeky but Bruce told me to do it and he's a bit of our hero so um thank you so much for coming I do think there's so much more depth we can go into with um with you guys with the contributors and and um, also, you know, other people who've contributed to the book. So follow the research show because I think we'll do more deep dives in that. So that's podcast, YouTube, as well as the live show as well. And, and thank you, everybody, for, for coming and supporting us. <laughs> and thank you, Justin, for hosting today as well. You're a star. Cheers for that. Pleasure, pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thanks, everyone. Have a lovely evening or um, morning or afternoon, depending on where you are in the world. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.